Last week, we talked about uh, some of the things that happened uh, when Jesus was presented at the temple and, and some of the things that people like Simeon and Anna saw. We talked about the fact that God often starts things as seeds. In fact, that's his prime way of doing anything in the earth is through seed time and harvest. And so many times we in our world, in our society, in our culture, we're looking for harvest. We're looking for the results. Uh, but God wants his people to be aware of the seed. He wants people to, to be aware of what he's doing before it becomes obvious. And so when we talk about uh, this advent of, of Christ, we talk about the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus coming to the world. A lot of times uh, uh, we wonder, would we have been at the nativity scene? Would we have noticed something at the temple? Would we have, have thought anything was odd about you know, these wise men, these magi walking through Jerusalem? And would we have been curious to see where they were going? Or would we have just missed the moment? Would we have missed everything? I often ask myself, because the book of John says that when Jesus came to his own, his own did not recognize him. I ask myself, would I have recognized Jesus? Would I have seen him? Would I have known, would I have believed that he was the Messiah? You know, I, I have to believe that I would have, because I believe in him now. But it's a question you ask yourself, hypothetically, you know. If I were hearing some guy claim to be the son of God, would I believe that? I pray that I would. I hope that I would, but thank God, all I can do right now is in this lifetime, believe God. Yes. But we're faced with the same questions that they were faced with. Are you going to wait till God somehow proves it beyond all shadow of a doubt, or are you going to trust by faith that he's right? Because Jesus proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the Messiah, and people still didn't believe. We think proof is the answer to everything, but proof only works on a non-hardened heart, right? Proof only works on an open heart. Today, people would rather believe some weird theory that they found on Facebook or YouTube than stuff that's been proven over and over again. They'd, they'd rather believe that lizard people are controlling the government or something. I don't know, but sometimes it's more fun to believe some weird thing than what you see right in front of you. Sometimes it's the other end. Sometimes it's hard to believe something new. It's easier to believe what we've always believed. And Jesus comes and proves. If you go through the Old Testament prophecies that he fulfilled, you don't know how one person could fulfill all these prophecies. Even if you were trying to fulfill them, how, how could you possibly fulfill uh, over 100 prophecies in the Old Testament? How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? And, and he did it to the letter. He, he even did things people didn't recognize right away. And he healed the sick and he opened the eyes of the blind and lame walked and the dead were raised. And still people said, yeah, but prove it to me. Right after he fed thousands of people with a basket full of food, he had people say, yeah, but show us a sign. What are you looking for? You're looking for something that will quiet your doubts. You're looking for something that will answer every question. But I'll tell you something. If you let doubt rule in your mind, it'll never be quieted. It'll never be quieted no matter what you see or hear because it's not logical. We think that doubt is logical. We think that's what it's supposed to be. It is logic, but I'm telling you it's not. How illogical was it that when Lazarus was raised from the dead, after being dead for three days, on the fourth day he got up from the grave? How illogical is it that the Pharisees said, now we need to kill Jesus and Lazarus? 
How could you be so blind? Well, it's easy. When your heart is hard, even when you see, you don't believe. Jesus said this. He says, it's good for you if you believe. He said, blessed is the one that, that doesn't see and yet believes. But then he went on to say, he went on to say, you, if you don't believe what I say, at least believe based on what I do. You understand? Jesus was saying, hey, if you can't believe me based on my word, at least believe the signs and wonders. See, he, he had to say that because there's lots of people that saw the signs and the wonders, saw the miracles, saw the proof, and still didn't believe it. We think that if we could just prove it, someone would believe. But the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. There is no proof that will quiet your doubts without faith. You could stand face to face with God and still not believe. Because that's exactly what happened in the gospel story. Thank God we believe in signs and wonders. We believe in the, in the power and the working of God that you can see, feel, and touch. But let me tell you something. You need faith even to believe that. The book of Luke, like I said last week, we talked about Simeon coming to the temple and recognizing that this baby was the son of God. We talked about shepherds worshiping a baby and how it takes faith to worship a baby because a baby doesn't, isn't able to do any of the things you're expecting the Messiah to do. When you worship a baby, you're, you're believing something you can't see. You're celebrating something he is that you'll see later, but not right now. And that's, that's faith. But I want you to turn back to Luke again. We're going to go a little bit earlier than that. We're going to go back to the point where an angel appeared to Mary and told her she was going to have a child. And at first she balked at the question and said, well, how? How is that going to happen? There's two ways to ask how. Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, asked how could it be in a very doubtful, I don't think you can do it way. And he was mute for nine months. <laughs> but Mary didn't ask it in a, I don't believe that kind of way. She asked it in a curious, like, how, how are you going to do that? I'm a virgin. How am I going to get pregnant? And the angel said to her something that we should say to ourselves every day. Is anything too hard for God? Nothing's impossible for God. He goes on and he says, and we're going to pick up right at the end of the angel's message. And I know that sounds weird. Usually we read the whole thing. But I, I want to read the last part. He says in verse 36, this is Luke 1:36. if you've got your Bible with you. Behold, now if you study the, the, the story of the gospel and the story of the birth of Jesus, you'll find that the angels say this word over and over again, behold. Pay attention to this. Look at this. You understand, they, I mean, they had to say it to Joseph, they had to say it to Mary, they had to say it to, to Zacharias, they had to say it to everybody, behold. And then the reason is, is that God often says, behold, when we're either distracted by something over here or we're not paying attention to what we should be looking at. Behold means, look at this. Pay attention to this. I mean, when the angel talked to Joseph, he, he addressed all his fears. He addressed all his doubts, but then he said, but behold, I'm the one that's doing this. It's God that's doing this. You should take Mary as your child. Behold, this is a work of God. And so, God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He, is, he, he wants you to bring these to him. But often he'll say, but look here. 
You're so distracted by this. You need to pay attention to this. And the angel says to Mary, behold, even your relative Elizabeth, this is her cousin, Elizabeth, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. Well, if you know the story, this little baby yet to be born is John the Baptist. John the Baptist's mother, Zach, uh, Elizabeth, and his father, Zacharias, were old people when she got pregnant. They weren't able to have kids all their life. She couldn't have kids. They tried. They were never able to have it. And then one day, Zacharias is doing his duty to worship at the temple. He's, he's on priestly duty. He shows up to the temple, and God shows up to him. The angel of the Lord says, your wife's going to have a baby. And he goes, how? And then God put the, pushed the mute button on the remote control, and Zacharias couldn't talk for nine months. And I know some of you ladies have had kids, and you wish you had that feature. And... <laughs> but what's cool about Zacharias is that when his mouth opens for the first time, he says what God says. In fact, when he opens his mouth for the first time, when that baby is born, he immediately names the kid what God told him to name the kid, and then he prophesies. It's one of the most beautiful prophecies in the Bible. But anyways, Elizabeth is pregnant now with this baby she wasn't supposed to have. And this baby is John the Baptist. This baby is the coming in the spirit of Elijah that God talked about in the last verse of the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with this statement, I'm going to send Elijah. He's going to restore the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. He's going to make straight paths. He's going to prepare a way for the Lord so that this land won't be smitten with a curse. So this is the end of the Bible, the end of the Old Testament. The Torah as they know it is, ends with this. I'm going to send this person. The first words in the chronological timeline of the New Testament, the last words that are spoken are about John the Baptist. The first words that are spoken are the angels speaking to his father saying, this is the time he's coming. So Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. Of course, I don't think they called him John the Baptist when she's pregnant with him. <laughs> like the Baptist, not his middle name. Just John, right? John is in her womb, and, and he's, he's a tiny little boy. And it says, in her old age, she's conceived. And, also, and she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. Verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped up in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that which had been spoken to her by the Lord. 
hang on, have you read this and just said, what exactly was in Mary's greeting? Because Elizabeth seems to have a lot of information. And this is pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram. Mary's not putting it out there. You know, I'm pregnant. It's the son of God. The Messiah is here, and it's hanging out in my womb. She comes in the door and a greeting. Now, maybe we can say Middle Eastern greetings might be longer than our greetings, but I, I guarantee Mary didn't say, greetings, Elizabeth, by the way, I'm pregnant, and pregnant, and the son that's inside of me is the son of God, he's the Messiah, and, and, and he's going to save the world. And I said yes to the angel. The angel said, should I do it? I said, yes, I'll do it, and, and, and I'm blessed because of it. Anyways, good to see you, Elizabeth. Like, she didn't give her that information. Elizabeth had that information. Why? Because she's prophesying right now. She's speaking by the Spirit. Mary didn't tell her any of this stuff. I mean, what are the odds, right? What are the odds you would just guess that this teenage relative of yours, who's not married, doesn't look pregnant yet, is pregnant, and is pregnant with the Son of God, with the Messiah? What are the odds you just guess that? Pretty much zero, right? Like, that, that's not going to happen. But something happened to her as soon as she heard Mary's voice, it says the baby John leaps in her, this six, I mean, this, this little infant that's six months in the womb leaps up within her. And the Bible says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love this story. And a lot of times we kind of skip past it because we like the parts that the kids can act out. We don't usually have the kids act out uh, for obvious reasons, two pregnant ladies and one <laughs> with a baby leaping up, right? It's disturbing. We don't want to go there. So these two pregnant ladies having a good time doesn't make it into our stories very often. But this is huge. Because it shows something, and I want you to pay attention to this. It shows what happens when we are full of the Holy Spirit. It shows what happens when spirit-filled people get around spirit-filled people during times that God is doing something. When things aren't apparent, let me tell you, Mary doesn't look pregnant. I guarantee she doesn't. Because as soon as she heard the word from the Lord, she immediately goes. And it may have taken her a while to get there, but even if it took her weeks, she still wouldn't have looked pregnant. Elizabeth sees nothing, but she's full of the Spirit. And immediately she's on the same page as God. And even that fetus in her womb, that little boy in her womb is leaping. Isn't it amazing that a child in utero can be more aware of the spirit than some of us who've been studying the word and full of the spirit and knowing God for a long time that somehow this child gets it. At six months in the womb, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I, I don't think that he's, he's, I know he's not calculating in his head what's going on. I know he's not reasoning. There's just something that's pure. It's a pure reaction to the Spirit of God. You know, a lot of times around this season, you know, the, the styles of worship are contrasted. You've got some churches that are more liturgical and they, they have a set way of doing things certain times for certain things. And, and then on the other end of the spectrum, maybe the more charismatic where we, we uh, are, you know, 
sometimes are more spontaneous or maybe do something ba based on what we believe the Spirit is saying. But I don't think that those two things have to be at odds. I don't, I don't believe they're opposites. Because, listen, you know, it, it's God throughout the Bible that set up feasts and, and times of the year to do certain things. He has a rhythm. Every seven days there's a Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with having times and seasons. God created seasons. Let me tell you something. You don't go out and say, by the Spirit of God, will we have a fall this year? You'll always have fall. You don't have to pray about whether there'll be spring. There'll be spring. Now, sometimes we do feel like we have to pray up here. <laughs> we, we hold our annual, it, it's way too late for winter prayer meeting where we get together and go, Lord... Melt this cursed snow. It's not cursed. Thank Jesus. But we, you know, you know that the seasons are going to come. You know that, that Passover will always be Passover. You know that Pentecost will always be Pentecost. There's nothing wrong with those rhythms. But here's the problem. If you take the spirit out of the rhythm, if you take the spirit out of the rhythm, all you're left with is empty religion. And the very thing that was meant to bring life is dead. And that's what happens to us around this time sometimes. Because around Christmas and resurrection season, we get back to our rhythm. And it's a good rhythm. It's good for us to recognize the advent of the king. It's good for us to talk about the birth of Jesus. It's good for us to talk about the incarnation. It's good for us to realize that this is the time of the year we talk about this, even if Jesus wasn't really born in December. It's good. But if we take that spirit out of it and it becomes a religious exercise where we sing certain songs and we do certain things, but we're not looking for what God's doing, we're not full of the spirit, then the very thing that was meant to remind us of the spirit is going to just be us going through the motions. You know, it, when Simeon came, that old man who came to the temple and recognized that this baby was the salvation coming to Israel. Remember, he went to the temple constantly. He had his routine of going to the temple. Remember that when they brought baby Jesus, they did it after the days of purification, after the circumcision. They did it on a timeline that God had set. There's nothing wrong with a timeline. God used the timeline. He used the rhythm. He used the ritual, if you want to use that word but his spirit was in it. You know, what if you said, uh, you lame Christians, you're always meeting on Sunday, week after week, why don't you just ask God when you're supposed to meet? Okay, we could do that. But there's nothing wrong meeting week after week on a Sunday. But what if you just expect that Sunday's the only time we're going to meet with God? Sunday's the only time I'm going to listen to the Spirit. Sunday's the only time that I'm expecting to be in the presence of God. Well, then what used to be a good thing has now become something that's just an empty ritual. When Mary comes in to the room and the Spirit of God fills Elizabeth, Suddenly, Elizabeth is aware of something. No, she can't see. She can't sense by any of her physical senses, but she's aware of what God is doing. And I want, I want to ask you something very simple today. And it's, it, it's not catchy or slogany, but do you want to have a spirit-filled Christmas? 
I mean, I can't imagine you sitting there saying no, because that'll get you in trouble in church, right? <laughs> Do you want to have a, a, a season where you're listening to God saying, behold? And I'll tell you why God has to say behold, because there's a million things to distract you. You ever talk to your kids, and they're all over the place, and you say, hey, hey, look at me, look at me. You ever have to do that? You know, I, I know your kids are angels, but sometimes <laughs> kids are distracted. There's stuff going on, especially when you bring them to, the, you bring them to Christmas with grandma and grandpa, and, and there's cousins running around, and you want their attention for a minute. Maybe they got schmutz on their face or something, and you got to get them and wipe. Hey, hey, come here. Hey, 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 come here. And you, you, you try to get their attention. And finally, when you have it, you want to keep it. So a lot of you just grab their cheeks, <laughs> and you hold them there, and you say, okay, stop running for a minute. Take a breath. <laughs> and their eyes are darting back because their cousins are playing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Moses has a saying, you're wasting my playtime. He says this. Like his playtime is something so valuable. You're wasting my playtime. Yes, yes, but pay attention for a minute. I have something important to say. And we as Christians are always meant to be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Romans 8, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the children of God. The, how you know you're a child of God is that you're led by the Spirit of God. How can you be led by the Spirit of God if you're not paying attention to the Spirit of God? So God says things like, behold, look, pay attention, pay attention. And that's why so often we need to wake ourselves up again and go, wait, what am I doing? Because we get busy. And listen, I'm a pastor and I know what it's like to get busy in the name of ministry and leave Jesus three feet behind because I'm too busy doing his work. He doesn't want that from me any more than he wanted that for Martha. He doesn't want that for you. What he wants is you. And he wants you to be aware of what he's doing. Because in the midst of our busy grocery shopping, there's somebody in the store that needs hope. In the midst of our, of our I got to get all this done, and, and we've got turkeys to put in the oven and all this, there's, there's a conversation you need to be having with somebody that's been oddly quiet. Or maybe there's nothing on the surface that seems to be wrong or right. But the Spirit of God inside you says, this is a holy moment. This is a holy moment you need to pay attention. It could be your company Christmas party. You just can't wait to get out. You've already got your excuses planned. Maybe you're not all introverts like me, but sometimes we go to these things. Maybe you don't go to your company Christmas party because there's a bunch of people getting wasted and you don't want to be a part of that. I get that. But maybe it's, maybe it's a nice little get-together. And in that time, you know, you've got people doing what they do and you're just trying to fit in or maybe you're just trying to get through the night. And we're focused on all the things that are going around, but the Holy Spirit is saying today is the day of salvation for somebody. And we'd like to believe that something inside us would leap up. Something would leap up. That the thing that God has placed in us would leap up at the moment that it needs to leap, that that baby leaps up in the womb, that something comes alive. But I want to tell you, that happens when you've opened yourself up to the Spirit of God. Spirit-filled babies will leap when Jesus is in the room. Spirit-filled mothers will prophesy 
but be full of the Spirit, the Scripture says. In fact, when the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, literally in the Greek, it doesn't say be filled as in be filled one time. It says keep being filled with the Spirit. Then he tells you how. Teaching and admonishing one another, singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Keep yourself full of the Spirit of God. See, I want to be, I want to be like that six-month-in-the-womb baby, John. I want to leap up when God's doing something. I want to be like Elizabeth, who all you hear is hello, but immediately you begin to open your mouth and say, man, I know, I know what God is doing, and it's exciting. I don't want to be so just so, so held back and restrained and polite that I can't be loud at the right time. Who knows what the neighbors thought of these two pregnant women being loud in a culture where women weren't supposed to be loud. It says they, with a loud voice, started to yell these things. You know immediately the men are trying to say, shh, shh, settle. But there's a time to be loud. There's a time to proclaim what God is saying. The Bible tells us that Simeon didn't just go to the temple and recognize Jesus. It says he went to the temple in the spirit. Because he went to the temple in the spirit, he recognized what God was doing. The book of Revelation starts out with this statement. After it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that he gave to his servant John to give to his bondservants. John starts the story by saying this, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit and Jesus showed up. I was in the spirit and God opened my eyes to a world I couldn't see. I was in the spirit and he caught me up to, to be where he is. And I want to urge you this morning, be in the spirit in this season. Be in the spirit, be full of the spirit. How do I stay full of the spirit? Well, quite simply, make room for the Holy Spirit. Are we expecting him? You know, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he says he's going to make you known of things to come. He's going to let you know what's about to happen. He's going to prepare you for things you're not ready for. When we start our day, are we asking the Spirit of God what's supposed to happen today? Are we preparing our hearts for what God is doing? Are we ready for somebody to walk in the door when they're not scheduled to show up? You see, I believe that routines and rhythms can be good I just believe God uses those rhythms and routines, but I also believe the Holy Spirit makes those rhythms and routines come alive. He shows up in them. Do you guys remember the story about when, when the Feast of Booths was going on and, and Jesus shows up in Jerusalem during the feast and they're doing their annual walk to the pool and they're walking to the pool where they're going to draw water and a whole crowd, every year they do this. Every year they do this, and it's a symbol of what the Holy Spirit will do. It's a, it's a symbol of God 
It's a thanksgiving of God providing rain for the crops. It's, it's, it's a looking forward to the sending of the Spirit. It's all these things. But as they go to draw water from the well, every year the high priest would go and he would pull water out of the well. And many scholars believe this is the scripture he would sing. Therefore, we will draw from the wells of salvation with joy. We will draw from the wells of salvation. And all the crowd would watch him with this object lesson of drawing water. Every year they do this. Well, if you know any Hebrew, and most of us would not be able to speak Hebrew, but we know a couple of good words, right? Yeah, everybody's really quiet right now. <laughs> we know this word, Yeshua, which we, we translate Jesus. Yeshua means the Lord is salvation. It means salvation, right? Literally in the Hebrew, which is what this priest would have been speaking, he draws waters and says, therefore, you will draw from the wells of Yeshua. Jesus was a wanted man at that feast. They wanted to kill him. If he ever set foot in Jerusalem, they were going to kill him. And he kind of just allowed, Jesus disguised himself. God didn't allow him to be discovered until that moment. That moment when they're doing something they do every year. They're in a holiday season. They're in a God-ordained holiday where every year they remind themselves of what God is doing here. Except this holiday season, Jesus is in the crowd. And they say, therefore, will you draw from the wells with joy, we will draw from the wells of Yeshua. Yeshua himself stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him drink of me, and you'll never thirst again. What they were doing out of ritual came alive in front of them because the Holy Spirit was there. What they were doing out of what seems to be religion, when the Holy Spirit is there, it comes alive. We've done this every year ever since I was a baby. We've done this every year. For generations we've done this, but now I get it. It's about him. I'm not against ritual. I'm not against lit liturgy. I'm not against saying every year we do this. In fact, I'm for it if the Holy Spirit is there. When people are full of the Spirit, we bring the baby to the temple when ritual, when, when, the, when the law says we bring the baby to the temple, but something is going to happen when we bring that baby to the temple. When Zacharias goes to the temple to do his duty as a high priest, he's done it so many times before, but this time the angel of the Lord meets him there. Guys, I, I want you to be so full of the Spirit this Christmas that when you're, you gather your kids in the living room, maybe you, maybe you celebrate with presents, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't even celebrate the birth of Jesus in December. Maybe you guys are purists and you say, no, it's probably this time of year and, and you bunch of pagans are doing it in December. Fine. Fine. I don't judge you. You don't judge me on this. But when we gather our kids, we gather our family, and there's the strong pull of tradition, and there's a strong pull back to do what everyone does. Are you open to the Holy Spirit interrupting your plans? Are you open to meeting with God? Are you open to prophecy coming at the most inopportune time? 
I told you earlier, one of my favorite Christmas prophecies is Zacharias. When his baby is born, he says, this is going to be John. Mom, had, Elizabeth had already said this baby's name is going to be John, but nobody believed it until, until Zechariah said it. And Zechariah wrote on a tablet, his name is John. And when he wrote that on a tablet, his, his tongue was loose and he was able to speak. And the first words he says are a prophecy about his son. He says, you child will be called. You're the one that's supposed to go and prepare the way for the Most High. You're the one who's supposed to go to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he talks about what, he, he, he brings back the Old Testament scriptures of what the Messiah would do. And he, he goes back to Isaiah and he prophesies, you're the one that's going to prepare the way for salvation. This, this person that's going to come, that's going to bring us salvation. He says, sunrise from on high will visit us to shine on those who sat in the shadow of death and darkness to guide our feet into the way of peace. Have you ever been in a delivery room? Some of you yes, some of you no. It's generally looked maybe a bit frowned upon when you grab the baby and start loudly prophesying. Maybe it's not frowned upon, but it's not expected. You know, when, when this happens to John, all the relatives are in the room. All the relatives are there. Now, maybe that happened when the baby was first born. Maybe there's a, a time of, of, for the naming day. But whatever is happening, everybody's expecting that we do the nice thing. We name the baby. We have some snacks. We all do our thing. But instead, God interrupts the meeting. Prophecy breaks out. God interrupts this meeting between two pregnant ladies. And Mary just says a greeting. And Elizabeth has this baby leap up and she prophesies. And then Mary's response, Mary doesn't say, yeah, you got it, you nailed it. Wow, how'd you know? Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for his humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given Help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Would normal people just say hi? Normal people just say, hey, what are you doing here? It's a long journey. Did you come to stay with us? What happens when the Holy Spirit's there? I'll tell you, when we're full of the Spirit, there are times where what's pregnant in you, what God has put it in you, would put in you, leaps up within you. And you don't know why, but you know God's doing something. Will you be aware of it? The Old Testament prophet said, God said this through the prophet. He said, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Before it springs up, will you perceive it? Will you be aware of it? And he tells them, I'm going to make highways in the sea. I'm going to make rivers in the desert. I'm going to do things in places you're not looking for. And the only way you'll know is by the Spirit of God. 
She ever noticed that when Pentecost happens and the church is full of the Holy Spirit, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When the church is full of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, all of the apostles start quoting the Old Testament saying, this is that. Like the verses they've heard all their life, the scriptures they've learned since they were kids, all of a sudden they see it. It's here. It's now. We're in it. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. I had a conversation with someone one time, and they said, you know, I love reading the Bible. It's wonderful. But there's something special about when God speaks to you. And I said, that's how you're supposed to read the Bible. <laughs> like they were saying, the Bible's fine, but it's so much more fun when God speaks to you. The Bible is God speaking to you. When you have the Holy Spirit, it comes alive. When you go, oh, it's here. It's now. I'm in it. I'm here. It's here. Jesus is alive. I don't read it like a history book. I read it. I read it like God's speaking to me right now. There's nothing wrong with the tradition. In fact, traditions are good. Traditions are God-ordained. Godly traditions are good. I mean, if you have a tradition of, you know, getting a fist fight with your wife every Christmas, that's a bad tradition. Throw that out. <laughs> All right? You know, there are some traditions that just need to go. But uh, there are some traditions that are worth keeping if they remind us what this is about. That's what tradition is supposed to do. That's what the feasts were supposed to do. That's what the, the yearly things that the Israelites did. That's what they were supposed to do. And I want to tell you something. Every feast brought, reminded us of something and pointed forward to something God was going to do. The Feast of Passover reminded them of God bringing them out of Egypt, but pointed forward to Jesus being the lamb that would save them from the angel of death. Every feast remembered something, but pointed forward to something through Christ. Every feast had a beginning, and every feast has a fulfillment. So those rhythms were good. They're good when the Spirit's in them, when you're full of the Spirit. I want you to be aware, Jesus had a midnight conversation with a religious man. Some of you know him because he has the funnest name in the Bible, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. I grew up watching Gospel Bill, and Nicodemus was a character on that uh, show. And in the early Gospel Bill days, he would wear his hat sideways flipped up. He was my favorite. It was a real honor when I finally got to meet that guy in real life and had to call him by his real name, which was a disappointment. <laughs> his name's Ken. He's not near as fun as Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up in the middle of the night. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious man. He's an educated man. He meets with Jesus in the middle of the night because he's ashamed to meet with him in the day. Nevertheless, Jesus meets with him. And Jesus says to him in John chapter 3, he says, he says, unless you're born again, or some translations say born from above, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom. Literally in the Greek, it says, the word see is to perceive, to know. Unless you're born again, you'll never perceive the kingdom. Then Jesus goes on to explain that to him because he stumbles over that and says, well, how can I be born a second time? I'll go back into my mother's womb because, you know, the most educated people sometimes become the dumbest people if you throw them for a loop, right? 
He said, no, Nicodemus, I'm not saying go back in your mom's womb. Like, why would I say that? I'm telling you, you have to be born of the Spirit. Then he says this. He says, you know how Jesus talks to him and says, you know how when the wind blows in, you can feel it and you can see its effects, but you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going? Nicodemus says, well, yeah. Jesus says, well, that's what the the sons of the Spirit are. Those, Those that are born of the Spirit are like that. Those that are born in the spirit are like the wind. You're not sure where they came from and you're not sure where they're going. But you know what? He's talking to somebody who doesn't have the spirit. He's going to be mystified by spiritual people. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 tells us this. 1 Corinthians 2 says the things of the spirit are foolishness. He says that, he says that, that, that a, a natural man cannot comprehend spiritual things. And so you are a bewilderment. You are a mystery. You are weird. They look at you and go, why are you doing this? Why now? What for? Why are you wasting your life? But Jesus says, it's because you're being led by the Spirit. So to an unbeliever, it seems like you're just blowing in from nowhere and we don't know where you're going. But to a believer, it's not a mystery. You know where you're going. You know where you came from. You're going where the Spirit leads. Now watch what he said. He he, He didn't just say, I know the question was, how can I enter the kingdom? But Jesus says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not born of the Spirit, you won't even perceive the kingdom. You won't be aware that it's there. Remember, when Jesus walked the earth, he talked about the kingdom to come, but he also talked about the kingdom right now. And what did he say? He said, tell them the kingdom is near you. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is in your hearts. He tells them the kingdom is here, but you just don't know it's here. And he had disciples that were zealots. He had people that used to be like, likely like terrorists that, that were trying to overco- overthrow the Romans and and, and, and I'm sure he had people that were pressuring him to set up an earthly kingdom that happened constantly in his ministry. But he said, there is a kingdom, you just can't see it. In Acts chapter 1, the Israelites ask, his disciples ask him, when are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? In other words, what they're asking him is, when will we see your kingdom? And he says, that's not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, he's telling them, when that earthly kingdom you're asking for, you don't know when that's going to happen. But I will tell you, there is a kingdom right now. And you'll be empowered to live it out when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Can I, can I just put this to you? And, and I want you to hold on to this. Behold, the kingdom of God is at work right now. Jesus said from the moment John the Baptist started preaching, The kingdom of God has been taking ground. And those, the forceful people are trying to take it by force. He's telling you this. He said, from the moment John started preaching, the kingdom has been advancing. The kingdom is at work. Will you see it? God is at work. Will you see it? How many people passed the pregnant Mary? Nothing leapt up inside of them. No prophecy exited their mouth. No exaltation, no joy, no rejoicing, no dancing. Nothing. Nothing. How many people passed the baby in the temple? 
I know I said some of this last week, but it's worth repeating again. Guys, it's those that are being that are filled with the Spirit, you'll know what God is doing. How many of us say, God, do something in Lloyd Minster. Do something in my family. And what he wants to tell you this morning is, I am. Will you be aware of it? Because when you're aware of it, you can be part of it. This week, close to 100 people got born again in Loon Lake. Praise the Lord. We had an evangelist come in and preach the gospel. God was doing something. But God was doing something before that. What we're now seeing is the harvest of what God had started weeks ago. God started something in Thunderchild. And when the outreach team went, God brought harvest in. God's doing something in Lloydminster. Will you be aware of it? Because let me tell you something. Routine has a powerful magnetic force to it. Routine has the power to lull you into sleep. And I'm here to say, it's time to wake up. You don't need to throw away routine. But you need to be okay with God totally interrupting your routine. You need to expect the Holy Spirit. I want us to have such a spirit-filled Christmas. (laughs) Such a spirit-filled Christmas that things leap up inside of you in times that you don't expect. I want you to be aware of what God is doing. Will you be aware that he's already at work in Lloyd? He's already at work here. He's not waiting. We pray, God, do something. God, do something. He says, I'm doing something. Will you be aware of it? It's here. Will you be aware of it? Jesus, and I'll close with this thought. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Days before he was crucified, he wept over Jerusalem and he said, how I wished I could have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. How I wanted to gather you. He said, but now what's going to happen is your enemies are going to come and they're going to set up siege weapons and barricades against you and not one stone will be left on another because you missed the day of your visitation. You missed those three years where God himself walked in your midst. You missed your visitation. But we all assume if God visits us, we'll all know it. I mean, surely when God visits us, there'll be fire and a light show and angels. But Jesus walked around for three years and they missed it. How much more could God do than come in the flesh and live with us for three years? I mean, live with us for 33 years. But three years do signs and wonders. For three years do signs and wonders and mighty deeds and preach the kingdom and people miss their visitation. I've been in the airport when people miss their flight and all the rest of us are hearing, that's the last final call for uh, flight 232 heading to Cincinnati. Uh, We're looking for a couple passengers here. Um, Once again, passenger bounds. Passenger Bounds, Linda Gale, would you come? (laughs) You hear it over and over again. You're sitting there at your gate going, what are they doing? They're checked in. They're in the airport. You know what? Most of the time, do you know where they are? They're in the bar. Not Linda Gale. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. 
I, I panicked. I panicked and didn't make up a name in time. I'm sorry. <laughs> Most of the time they're in the bar and they're not listening. You know, the scripture tells us to not be drunk, but to be sober. And while I believe that means don't be physically drunk, I also believe it's easy to get drunk on busyness. It's easy to get drunk on routine. It's easy to get drunk on your job. It's easy to get drunk on entertainment. And all of these things, you'll say, but I didn't hear the announcement that the flight was boarding. Doesn't mean the announcement wasn't said five times. Pay attention. This is the day of salvation. Did you know revival can happen at Christmas time? Did you know God's allowed to do that? Like he's not just like, well, let you have your Christmas. Then January, though, guys. (laughs) We're going to get back in it. January, we start focusing again. Why can't God bring revival to your family? Why can't God bring breakthrough? Why can't God have a Holy Spirit healing meeting in your living room before the kids open their presents? Why not? What if you just... What if you just got so wrapped up in the spirit you forgot the presence? And they just had to wait till Boxing Day. What if that? Why not that? Why not? Let yourself be interrupted. Be full of the spirit. Guys, I want you to be looking around with your head up saying, God, what are you doing right now? How can I be a part of it? Be full of the Spirit, and things will leap up inside you at times you're not expecting. The Spirit of God will cause the things God has put in you to leap up and say, now is your day. This is the moment you've been waiting for. The kingdom is here. Salvation is now. Don't wait. It's now. Let's have a Spirit-filled Christmas. Amen? Stand up with me. Let's praise the Lord.